This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Well, good morning again to those of you that had a chance to slip in uh, after we were able to greet everyone. It's good to be together and worship this morning. My name is Owen. Um, the scripture lesson that we are going to be reading today uh, comes from a letter uh, called Timothy. It's First Timothy. And this letter is written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a church planter in the early church in the first century. And he planted a whole network of churches uh, all around the Mediterranean region. And by this particular point in his life, um, he sort of has slowed down. He's getting a little older. And he's recognized that his job uh, is not so much to go from place to place planting all the churches, but to make sure that he's helping other people be well-equipped to do that. And, uh, and so he writes this letter to sort of his protege, uh, to a guy named Timothy. Timothy at the time is young. And Paul is giving him some instruction and some encouragement. Uh, because I think in a lot of ways, Timothy was sort of the heir apparent uh, to the network. He was going to be stepping into a really big leadership role. And Paul had spent a lot of time growing into that role. But Timothy, young as he was, was going to step into that role as a, as a young man. Uh, and so Paul was preparing him. And I think Paul's words to Timothy uh, have a lot of goodness to speak to us today. Here's how it goes. We're in chapter 1, verse 12. I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to this work, even though, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus this saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save people like me, to save sinners, of whom, he says, I am the winner, the foremost, the best sinner around, he says. But for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me, the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his foremost, his utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. And then he says these words in a sort of a benedicting fashion um, that gave us words for the hymn we just sang. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We've been in a series for the last few weeks. Uh, if you've been worshiping with us on one of our campuses called A Year Without Fear, which is a really kind of audacious title for a sermon series. Um, but we trust that the scriptures that we've selected over the course of this next month uh, will give us the ability to process and to deal with the fear uh, that we have. Fear is an interesting sort of thing. I always feel like I'm discovering a new way of understanding fear, how it works in our culture, how it works in my own life, uh, how it works in the woods. I was actually um, talking with a, a friend of mine. We were on the back deck uh, having dinner together, and we got off on the subject of bears. Um, pastors get in all sorts of conversations, uh, as it turns out. Uh, I was telling him a story. Uh, I have a friend, uh, George. And George and I like to go fly fishing together. Uh, and George and I went fly fishing together. It was about a year and a half ago at this point in time, maybe two years. Oh, it's been a long time. I need to go fly fishing. Um, and so uh, we go. I wasn't driving, so I don't actually know where we were. I was just along for the ride. I, I do know that we turned off of a paved road onto a dirt road and then drove about another 30 or 40 minutes. And I can remember distinctively uh, that there was no cell coverage because I said to myself, before I get out of the car and hike into the woods, I'll call my wife to let her know we're okay. Uh, and there was no cell coverage, which was an interesting conversation when I got home. That's how I remember there was no cell coverage in this particular location. 
So we get out of the car, we put all of our stuff on our back, our fly fishing stuff, and we hike in, uh, you know, about a mile, on a long hike, uh, and we spent the afternoon fishing. It was delightful. We didn't see anybody else. There was like one other pair of people we saw walk by at one point in time. Uh, and then that night, you know, it's sort of evening was coming. We packed our fishing stuff up and um, we went and sat and had a, you know, less than fantastic meal around a less than fantastic fire. We were tired, didn't want to expend the energy to build a good one. Uh, and we're sitting there and all of a sudden we hear this sound. I was going to play it for you this morning, but it like needs a trigger warning. It sounds like, like a woman being attacked in the woods. Now, mind you, no cell coverage, not near the car. Um, fortunately, we had tents, uh, which are great protectors from all things that sound like that, right? <laughs> now, my friend George has spent a lot more time in the woods than I have, and he didn't seem afraid because he was good at faking it. And so uh, we just kind of <laughs> kept, you know, doing our thing. Uh, and then we heard it again, but closer. Uh, and right behind us where we were sitting was like a kind of a row of, of hedges. And it was just on the other side of that. It felt like it was very close, just very loud, very like blood curdling very uncomfortable. And I looked at George and George says, well, I think, I think I'm going to just call it a night and get in the tent. And I said, why would we get in the tent? I said, it's not going to protect us from anything. And then we can't run. Like it just boxes you in. It's like a snack for whatever that thing is. Anyway, I was sharing that with my friend on my back porch and he said, well, it was probably a black bear. So you, you shouldn't worry. Um, uh, <laughs> And I am convinced, um, and I know this because as soon as we got into the car and back to cell coverage, the first thing we did before calling my wife was to check and see what thing makes that sound in the woods. Um, and I'm barely convinced it was a mountain lion. Now, the North Carolina wildlife people will tell you that mountain lions don't exist. And they are liars um, because uh, I have heard one very close to me. Um, anyway, but my friend was telling me, he's like, it probably wasn't a mountain lion. You don't need to be afraid. It was probably just a baby black bear whose mom thought I was trying to eat it. I mean, you know, I don't know why that should have comforted me at all, but he was, he was going on. And he said, actually, the best thing you probably could have done was get in the tent, because if you had run, uh, it would not have turned out well for you. He said, people encounter black bears all the time, um, and you don't need to be afraid of them. People that are afraid of black bears run from them, and then they get chased down and mauled to death, which I suggested might be the reason people are afraid of them. <laughs> But it occurred to me theologically at that moment that there is something innate in that moment about fear, right? You have to have some fear of the bear. Otherwise, you don't respect its power and its authority in the woods. Uh, you don't attribute it the right amount of space. But if you fear the bear too much, it leads you to death, right? I think the Bible says the same thing about how we interact with God. All throughout scripture, one of the things that gets talked about almost more than anything else is fear. And sometimes the Bible tells us to not be afraid and to be afraid all at the same time. I was preparing for a, uh, a funeral this weekend and I was in Psalm 34 and David is writing a prayer of praise to God and says, I thank you, Lord. I cried out to you and you took away all my fears. And then two verses later, it says, and therefore I fear my God. I said, these two things, they cannot go together, right? We are taught all throughout the Old Testament and the New to fear the Lord. And yet the first thing that we hear when an angel shows up with good news from God is, do not be afraid. That's right. We have to have enough fear of God in order to attribute God the right uh, appreciation of God's power, to offer God the right amount of authority in God's house. But if we fear God too much, then we constantly find ourselves running away from God. And whenever we find ourselves running away from God, not only are we running away from a desire uh, for a relationship that God has with us, but we're running towards 
sin, or we say theologically, certain death. We've got to be afraid enough, but not too afraid. So when we say a year without fear, I don't think what we're saying is no fear. I think we're saying the right amount of fear. Today, particularly, we're talking about the fear of failure. Having a little bit of fear of failure is a good thing. It drives us to do all sorts of good things for the kingdom of God. It drives us to be better coworkers, better friends, better parents, because we don't want to let down the other person. We want to fulfill what we believe is our obligation in this relationship. However, when we allow the fear of failure to captivate our imaginations and to take over um, our sense of self, we end up in a place where fear has led us uh, into places that I think are further and further away from God. That's what I call the risk of fear. We typically fear things that are risky, but I think there's also a risk in allowing our fears to remain in control. Because what we see over and over again in Scripture is that very often, God's greatest blessing for us is on the other side of our greatest fear. It is walking through that fear, trusting God, that allows us to experience the goodness God has for us on the other side. When we started this series uh, back a few weeks ago at 519, uh, we try to have responses to the Word every week. And so uh, we invited people to write on a sticky note something that they were afraid of, and particularly something that they were afraid of that was preventing them because of their fear, from being the person that God created them to be or doing the thing that God was calling them to do. And we said, we want you to write that down on a sticky note. We're going to invite you up. You can put it on the whiteboard as a way of offering it to God. We're going to pray over them. We're going to take them down at the end of worship. Our staff and pastors are going to pray over them uh, over the course of this week. Uh, and people did, and they were very, very honest. And it was gut-wrenching to read through. We are a people who are deeply afraid of many things. In fact, I got myself even to wondering if we all knew how afraid we actually were, if we might give each other a little bit more grace and perhaps even give ourselves a little bit more grace. There were actually two sticky notes that got stuck together. Um, I can't imagine uh, that they were from the same family uh, just by virtue of how all the sticky notes ended up on the whiteboard. Uh, but one sticky note said, I'm afraid that I am not of being a good parent and I'm going to lead my child astray. The very next one was written uh, by, I assume, a middle or high school student and it said, I'm afraid I'm going to let my parent down. And I said, I wish the two of you could talk, right? I wish we knew that these are the things we are afraid of. One of the things that kept coming up over and over and over again, though, was this fear of failure. I'd say more than anything else, I could lump uh, more sticky notes into this category than anything else. And, and I would lump it probably more generally, not just into the fear of failure, uh, but into the fear of not being sufficient. Being insufficient for the task at hand. Being insufficient as a coworker. Being insufficient as a friend. Being insufficient as a parent or child. And there were plenty of people who felt like they were very insufficient as a child of God. And I can understand why. I can understand why. Because our culture values success. We determine other people's self-worth based on how successful they are. It's the American dream. This is the story we tell all the time. You can start with nothing, but if you work hard enough, long enough, if you sacrifice enough, if you are patient enough, if you are ingenious enough, you can succeed. You can go from nothingness 
to somethingness. Those are the stories that we tell. We hold those people up as the great victors of our society. We say you are only as worthwhile as your ability to accomplish whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And so I think at the end of the day, it's not that we're afraid of failure. It's that we are afraid of being a failure. And that gets into the core identity of who we are. Now, when Paul was writing his letter to Timothy, I don't think he had the American dream in mind yet. It was a few hundred years ago. Weren't quite there yet. But I think that Paul was helping Timothy wrestle with the exact same thing that we wrestle with every single day of our lives. Paul, this young man who was about to step into a role that he was far too young to take over. And Paul wanted to give him the tools that he needed to not let that thing eat him alive from the inside out. Paul was wrestling with much the same thing we wrestle with. Um, again, not the American dream, but what we call the Stoic ideal. Stoicism was sort of the religious, cultural milieu of the day. And uh, Stoicism believed that if you could, you could find like perfect fulfillment, perfect contentment, contentment, perfect happiness, if you could not allow all the circumstances of your life to affect you. And one of the core tenets uh, of the Stoic doctrine, one of the core doctrines of Stoicism is this, and I apologize for the masculine language. It says, man should be sufficient unto himself for all things, and able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances. That's what it means to be a good citizen. That's what it means to be a good part of this culture, that you would be able to be sufficient unto yourself for all things. It makes Paul's words, um, I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who gives me strength, make a lot more sense because this is what he's talking about. He's saying to Timothy, listen, what everybody's going to try to tell you is that if you're not successful enough in this leadership position, that you're not worthwhile, that you're not sufficient in all things. But here's the good news that Paul tells us over and over and over again. He says it most explicitly in 2 Corinthians. He says, I've got good news for you. You are insufficient. Now, that doesn't feel good to hear. It doesn't sound like good news up front, but it is. Paul says it this way. He says that God's grace is sufficient for me. It's not that we are sufficient in all things. It is that God's grace is sufficient for us in all things. He goes on to say, so that God's ultimate power might be made known in our ultimate weakness. Or if I were to translate it for our conversation today, I would say that God's ultimate success is most fully made known in our ultimate failures. Paul says, don't fall into that trap. Don't allow your success to dictate your worth. I want to free you from that burden. Now, I think it's only right for me to confess to you that uh, this is not some like theological exploration thing for me. Uh, this is a real, <laughs> this is real for me. It's what I wrote on my sticky note uh, when I put it up on the board. If any of you have ever done the Enneagram, uh, which is like a kind of a personality meets spiritual gifts thing. I'm a three. Uh, our type is called the achiever, which means that I find not just my worth in my everyday life, but my spiritual worth before my heavenly father. Uh, that I find worth entirely wrapped up around whether or not I'm achieving something. I haven't always been aware of that as I am, though I have had moments of awareness. I remember a few years ago, uh, it was Easter, and I was, <laughs> it was a great Easter. I mean, the place was packed. Like we were bringing chairs in left and right which always makes a pastor feel a little heart go pitter patter. And, uh, and the music was great. Like people were singing. 
and their voices were like all resonating together, swirling in the air, hitting notes that aren't even on the pentatonic scale. I don't know. It was just beautiful. Like that was for the choir, apparently. I don't know. Y'all got that. That's good. Um, I was just a good day. It was a good day. Everyone felt warm. Everybody was in it together. The sermon went awesome. People were crying, which is sometimes a good example of a good sermon. Not always. Uh, um, sometimes people cry for other reasons, but like it was good. I felt, man, I was jazzed up. And uh, I remember I got off the stage. I was just fired up like adrenaline still rushing. And I saw one of our leaders and he came out. He's like, that was great. I gave him a high five. I was like, I know, we just won Easter. And he said, hmm. <laughs> Did you say you just one Easter? And I said, I might have a problem, right? This is a moment of awareness. I have recognized in my life that this is a problem, but it is so hard. It is so hard for me to break that because it, it feels so hardwired into the core of who I am that I would be able to achieve or succeed. And that from that success, I might be able to find worth before my creator, before my wife, before my parents, before my colleagues. Paul says it's tempting, but you can't let yourself fall into that situation. You've got to know that you are insufficient. It is only through the grace of Christ that we find our sufficiency. This is how he begins it. He first says, I am grateful to Jesus Christ our Lord who has strengthened me. It is not through the strength of my own will that I've been able to lead this thing. It is through the strength that Christ has given me. He puts everything in its proper order. He makes sure that we are sort of reorienting the object of our adoration. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, even though, aren't we so glad that we worship a God of the even though? Mm. He called me, even though I was all these things. He goes on a little bit later to say, uh, you know, Paul, always an achiever, he says, not just was I good at sinning, I was the best at it, uh, right? I've won this. I've won this competition. I won sinning. Congratulations, me. And he said, and yet, even so, even so, God has poured out his grace and his mercy upon me. And in between those two statements, he says this to Timothy, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save us. If you are a person who has ever felt like you are afraid of failing or afraid of being a failure, you know that in that life, succeeding your way out of that place, in that life is not freedom. In that life is not wholeness. It feels oppressive. You could be having all sorts of good things going on in your life and you can't see any of them because the one place you failed. If you know that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Paul says on the other side of this statement that is worth a, worthy of full acceptance, on the other side of this statement, there is freedom and there is fulfillment that no stoic can offer. And so my prayer for you this morning, particularly those of you uh, who wrestle with this fear who are so inundated by it that sometimes you feel like you cannot even outrun it. My prayer for you is that you will find your full sufficiency, not in your ability to achieve, but in the grace of your God, who desires for you to know that you are loved. All of the good things that we do, all of the altruistic ideals with which we start, 
Uh, those are good things. Don't wipe those away. It's not that we're all just supposed to lay around and do nothing now. We're called. We're called to act. We're called to do beautiful and wonderful and big and audacious things. But we're called to do those things empowered, compelled by the love of God. God, however, is not compelled to love us because of what we've done. It only works in one way, not in the other. Friends, this statement is worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ, our Lord, came into the world for us to free us from this burden so that on the other side of our greatest fear, we might might find fulfillment and freedom. Amen. Well, it has been great to be in worship together this morning. Uh, Before I offer a benediction, I would like to ask for a moment of personal privilege. As some of you may have heard last week, uh, I've asked uh, the bishop to send another pastor to come behind me at 519, um, which will conclude uh, 12 years of ministry in this place. Um, I know that some of you, uh, we just met today, so if you'll just bear with me for a second, uh, to the rest of you, um, I just want to say two things to you and ask two things from you in return. The first is this, Uh, I would like to say thank you with as much sincerity as I can muster. It has been an honor and a privilege to serve among you. When I was first appointed to Apex, I thought to myself, what good can come from Apex? Uh, And uh, they sent me anyway. Um, I came as a family of one and we're leaving as a family of five. And I can say without a doubt that uh, over the course of these 12 years, this town has become my home and this this family here has become my family, and we are so, uh, my wife and I, um, she couldn't, we have a 20-day-old at home, so she couldn't be here this Sunday and next Sunday, so um, she'll be here next Sunday, but we both uh, just really want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts uh, for your generosity of spirit um, and for uh, really just the privilege of serving among you. The thing uh, that uh, comes to mind here is, I don't know if any of you are fans of The Office, uh, but uh, I am, and uh, towards the end of the season, uh, the end of the series, Uh, There's a character on The Office named Andy Bernard, uh, and Andy Bernard says this. uh, He says, wouldn't it be nice if we could know that we were living the good old days while we were living them? (laughs) We are astutely aware that we have lived the good old days with you, and we are so, so grateful. The request that I would like to make from you is that you would continue to pray for us. Uh, Your prayers have gotten me this far, and so I'm going to really need them in the next little bit, and so I would love it uh, if every once in a while you could still pray, uh, pray for us and for the ministry that is ahead of us. The second thing that I would like to say is that I know that I have not always been perfect. I am sure that I am more keenly aware of my shortcomings than some of you, Uh, but I have also read some of my early sermons, and so I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) uh, But in all seriousness, uh, I know that I've not always been the pastor that you've needed to me to be. Among all the great and wonderful moments that we have shared together, I know that I've fallen short both in moments of commission and in moments of omission by things that I have done and by things that I have left undone. Some of these I will carry with me as painful learning moments for a young pastor. Others I may never be fully aware of, but I am confident that they exist. And so my second request of you uh, is that you will offer me your forgiveness. We are so, so grateful uh, for every bit of the 12 years that we've had together. And we look forward to all of the wonderful things that will continue to come out of this place. Uh, We may not be here to be a part of them, uh, but we certainly from a distance will be celebrating with you. Your heart for mission, Uh, Your love of people that don't belong in other places uh, continues to be a shining light in this community. And so we'll be praying for you as well. I offer you now all uh, this benediction. And now, O Lord, by the power of your spirit, 
Give us such faith that by day and by night, in all times and in all places, we may, without fear, commit ourselves and those we love most dearly to your never-failing love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. We'll see you guys next weekend.